Welcome. I feel like I should do some announcements. But turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. And let's uh, pray for a moment before we continue in our studies. God, we just want to commit our time to you uh, tonight. Thank you, God, for your glorious word. And your spirit, Lord, your spirit which teaches us, who teaches us concerning all things and leads us into the truth, Lord. So we uh, just want our hearts to be open to what you want to teach us tonight, to have ears to hear what your spirit is saying as we continue to look at Hebrews and what it means to enter into your rest, Lord, what it means to possess our spiritual inheritance in Christ, Lord, these are important truths that we want to grasp. So help us tonight, Lord. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you're in Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read some more uh, verses in there in just a moment. But aren't you loving the book of Hebrews? It's awesome. Uh, One thing that I find fascinating is that in Hebrews, the writer refers to the nation of Israel. And we learn that what they experienced thousands of years ago are actually illustrations and pictures of what you and I experience spiritually as believers today. It's amazing. For example, the Israelites in bondage in Egypt is a picture of our slavery and bondage to sin before coming to Christ. Their deliverance out of Egypt is a picture of our salvation that has come through faith in Jesus our Passover lamb. Their passing through the Red Sea is a picture of our baptism, which symbolizes that our old life is over and buried with Christ, and we are committed to following the Lord. And there's to be no turning back. Amen? Their wilderness experience is a picture of those who have been saved, and they are now on a journey that leads to the promised land. It's a time when there's testings and trials on the way that they teach us to trust in the Lord and not to rely on the works of the flesh. And Israel's failure to enter the promised land is a picture of Christians today who, due to unbelief and disobedience to the word of God, fail to take possession of their spiritual inheritance in Christ. They fall short of entering God's rest and remain in a spiritual wilderness. And finally, entering Canaan or the promised land is a picture of possessing our spiritual inheritance in Christ and entering his rest. I would suggest it's a picture of entering his rest even though we're facing the giants. There's ground to take and there's much work to be done. They find rest that comes by faith and obedience and trusting in the promises of God's word. So that's what I want to focus on this evening. But first, seeing these illustrations in the Old Testament is is just emphasized even more for me how important it is to be reading the entire Bible and get the whole counsel of God's Word. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, all these things happened to them as examples, and that they were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. And in Romans 15, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And we know that this this hope comes from all the scriptures, which are given by inspiration of God. 
David wrote in Psalm 119, the entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So I hope you've become a student of the whole Bible from cover to cover because in it we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. So our focus in Hebrews chapter 4 has been entering God's rest. We want to discover what that means and how it is that I enter in. And is it a rest available to us that only pertains to the past when I first trusted in Christ? Or is it a rest that pertains only to the future when I get to heaven? Or is there a rest for the people of God while it is still called today that we should be diligent to enter in? I believe the illustrations from the Old Testament and the experiences of Israel that are recorded for us in the scriptures help us answer these questions. They lay the foundation for our understanding of what it means to possess our spiritual inheritance in Christ, which is further explained to us in the New Testament. So what we're looking at this evening is what is pictured for us by the Israelites entering into the promised land. What is this rest that some fail to enter in? And what is pictured by not entering in and remaining in the wilderness? So I'd like to begin by looking at what is spiritually pictured for us by what, is, what could be called the wilderness experience. The wilderness is experienced, I believe, by every new believer to some degree. Those who have recently been delivered out of Egypt, so to speak, from the bondage of sin and are led by the Holy Spirit through the wilderness. It's a journey where faith begins to be tested and where there is a season of trials and hardships and there are repeated attempts to obey God in their own strength. In the wilderness, there can be frustration from the inconsistencies and failures in their efforts to please God not fully, re fully realizing that their confidence remains still in themselves to a large degree and in their own strength. But it's not God's will that they stay in the wilderness, but that they pass through and enter in to the promised land and possess their inheritance. But there is a need for them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They must come to that place where they can identify with what Paul wrote in Romans 7 where, when he said, for I know that, is, that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Again, just like the Israelites, it is not God's will that they remain in the wilderness, they were meant to journey on and to enter in. God had a designated place for them to arrive, a, a possession he wanted them to receive and to enjoy. It was a matter of hearing God's voice and combining it with faith and obedience. In order to enter in, they would need to believe God for what he wanted to give to them. They could only cross over and enter in by faith. So to fall short of entering into God's rest, I believe is pictured for us when the Israelites failed to believe God and could not enter in to the promised land. But instead, they went backwards into the wilderness. They went backward in unbelief instead of forward in faith. And what Hebrews is teaching us is that the same thing can happen for us spiritually. We can remain in the wilderness. If we have heard God's voice 
And if we have heard about our spiritual inheritance, but we have not believed what God has said, and we have not obeyed his word, we can allow ourselves to be deceived by sin. And our hearts can become hardened, and we can miss out on possessing our spiritual inheritance. A hardened heart becomes insensitive to the word of God. So I believe remaining in the wilderness pictures a life of the Christian who has doubted the word of God. They live in restless unbelief. God is with them, but they miss the fullness of his blessing because they do not enter into his rest, having been deceived by sin. Can a Christian doubt God's word? Can a Christian be deceived by sin? Can he become disobedient and depart from following the Lord? I would say absolutely. Every believer at times can be tempted to give up his confession of Christ. He can depart from following the Lord. This is why we are exhorted in Hebrews to hold fast to our confession. Because Christians can be tempted to go back into the world system, just like the Israelites who thought they might be better off if they went back into Egypt. They are tempted to live a life of compromise, especially when life gets hard when there's giants in the land, when there's giants to conquer, when there's ground to be taken. My oldest son, Jared, uh, came close to being laid off from Boeing recently. He had only been there for about six months and learned that uh, he had got a layoff notice. And he found out very quickly that there are advantages to seniority. I think it was a real trial for him, a real trial for his faith. But he, we had believed that God had just opened this door for this wonderful job at this amazing corporation, only to face months later a layoff notice. Well, just before he was about to be laid off, he got transferred to another program, and we were praising the Lord, and we still are. It's, it's, it's a blessing to be working, Amen. So we were praising the Lord only to find out that he got transferred from Renton up to Everett. <laughs> and he lives in Enumclaw. So it tripled his commute. And not only that, it, he went from fixing airplanes, which he loves to do, to a desk job, which he hates, although he's learning some very valuable things. He'd rather be turning a wrench and fixing things. Can any of you guys relate to that? The hands shoot up. So I'm thinking about getting him a little toy airplane for his desk and breaking it <laughs> just so he can fix something while he sits there. He'll be happy. So we can be tempted to give up on our confession and our confidence and our trust in God. But let's talk about entering the promised land. What is this rest that Hebrews speaks of? I would like to suggest that there are actually three rests spoken of in the Scriptures that pertain to us as believers regarding our past, our present, and our future. Last week, Greg mentioned two of them, and I appreciate that he gave me the privilege of talking about the third. Two of the rest are referred to from the Old Testament and mentioned right here in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. Flip back to uh, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4, where he says, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. 
For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So number one, what we see is God's Sabbath day rest, which I believe coincides with the finished work of Christ of redemption. God's Sabbath day rest is a picture of the rest we enter into when we get saved through faith in Jesus Christ. When we cease from our own works of righteousness and believe the gospel and are saved by grace through faith. In that sense, it is a past rest of salvation. I have been saved and I have received eternal life. I have con confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I have believed in my heart that God has raised him from the dead and I have been saved. And now my name is written in the book of life. No one can snatch me out of God's hand and nothing can separate me from his love. And I rest in the promise of God that Jesus is preparing a place for me. He's coming back for me. I will be changed into his likeness and I will forever be with the Lord. Amen? There's a Sabbath day rest which I have already entered into as a believer. God ceased from his work of creation and Christ finished his work of redemption. And I have entered in by faith to that finished work and into that rest which required a ceasing of any and all efforts on my part to save myself by works of righteousness. There's nothing that I can do or that I must continue to do that I am trusting in, trusting in to save me from my sin. I am only saved by grace through faith. It's a, it's a past rest of salvation we have entered into, and we rest there. Number two, a second rest mentioned in Hebrews and referenced from the Old Testament speaks of our future rest in heaven. I see this in uh, Hebrews 4, verse 9, where he says, There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. I believe that every Christian will find rest in heaven. What does that rest look like? Revelations 21, verse 4, where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no, nor sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Can I hear an amen? Now, I agree with Greg, however, as he shared in our last study, that there is much work to be done in this life before we enter into that future rest. We work from salvation, not for salvation. Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the first thing when we get there is the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be ple well-pleasing to God, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, don't we? Will everyone hear those words? I don't know. Where will they be whether or not they hear those words? In heaven. That's my point. There is a rest in heaven. Now, as Greg was sharing last week, we don't want to get there by the skin of our teeth. We don't want to get there with, I don't want to get there with, you know, smoke, my, you know, my britches flaming with smoke, like I just made it you know, and everything else is burned up with fire. I don't want to enter in that way. 
I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I believe there are glorious rewards in the kingdom of heaven for those who faithfully serve the Lord in this life. So there's a future rest, but I want to suggest to you a third present-day rest that I believe is pictured in Israel's rest in Canaan. It's a picture of a rest that is ours as long as it, as it is called today, a rest that we both enter into and a rest that enters into us as we are diligent to claim our inheritance in Christ. This could be called a rest of submission. Others have called it a faith rest. So let's begin tonight in Hebrews chapter 4, reading through verses 11 through 16. He says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So the rest we're looking at tonight from Hebrews chapter 4 is this, what I see is a present-day rest that is represented by the entering into the promised land. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, the Israelites' experience in the promised land doesn't exactly speak to me of rest. There are battles to fight and giants to face and ground to take, and that doesn't sound like rest to me. Sounds like a lot of hard work. Well, you're correct about that. In one sense, however, Joshua eventually gave them rest when they had rest physically when their enemies became subdued. There was a rest. But as it says in verse 8 of Hebrews 4, if Joshua had given them rest, or the rest that we speak of, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. In other words, they did not receive the rest that were discussing tonight. But it is pictured and I I believe represented by their entering into the promised land, which had to be done by faith in the promises of God and obedience to his commands. It is pictured in the sense that there was an inheritance that God wanted them to possess. It is pictured in the sense that there was something God wanted them to give to them to enjoy. So now what is this rest, this spiritual inheritance that we can enter into, that we can possess, and that is ours in Christ? As I mentioned before, it could be called a rest of submission. Others have called it a faith rest. I believe it is a present-day rest for our souls. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think Jesus spoke of this rest for the soul on several occasions. 
The rest that each one of us can enter into is our spiritual inheritance in Christ. Listen to what Jesus said about peace. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He spoke this also to his disciples about joy. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may, be, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I believe the peace of God and the joy of the Lord speak of a present-day rest for our souls. Notice again back in Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. In other words, there's a diligence on our part to enter in to this rest for our souls. There's a diligence required to take possession of our spiritual inheritance. And as we continue reading, we, reading, we see that our diligence is directed towards the Word of God. So the question that I have is, how do we apply this diligence to the Word of God so that we can enter this rest? How do we apply diligence to the Word of God? First of all, I think obviously it means we have to be reading it. We have to be diligent in reading our Bibles. It has to become a priority. But I think it goes beyond that. I think diligence brought to the Word of God goes beyond the reading. It goes on to the meditation, meditating on it, praying over it, studying it, memorizing it, only to find that it, it is indeed living and active and powerful, that our hearts become exposed in the light of its truth. It's a discerner of our thoughts and intents. Remember, James spoke of the Word of God as a mirror, a mirror that shows us what we're really like. But James also warned, warned us by say, saying, make sure that you are also a doer of a wor the Word and not a hearer only. Make sure you combine it with faith and obedience or you will just walk away and forget what you saw. And you will not enter in and you will not find rest. You will not take possession of your spiritual inheritance. Now, I think a perfect example of this is the rest that is in, as described in, the, in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. You can turn there if you like, but most of you probably have this memorized. Where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, by listening to that verse, you have just heard the Word of God. But now, let's assume that you, you, you're hearing that for the first time. What is required, according to the Scriptures, is a diligence is required on your part to enter in to the rest that that promise of God provides. Now, why is that true? Because without our diligence, we will fall short of what God wants to give us. And we will not receive the rest for our soul, which, he, which only he can provide. Because you could say, well, that's a really nice verse. That would look really nice on my refrigerator. 
or that would look, you know, really nice, uh, you know, on a plaque on the wall. That's a really nice verse. I think I'll attach that to all my emails. And if you, you know, if that's all that it is, is just a really nice verse, then we're stopping short of entering in because there's a diligence that needs to be applied to the Word of God in our lives, and I know most of you know this already. There's an obedience that this verse speaks of in putting off anxiety, be anxious for nothing. In other words, put off anxiety. Stop looking to yourself for answers. Stop carrying your burdens around. But by faith and obedience, cast your burdens on the Lord. Really pray. Put your trust in the Lord with a thankful heart, thankful for his loving kindness, thankful for his faithfulness. Make your request be known to God. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's when you enter in. That's when you receive what the Lord wants to give, a spiritual inheritance. That's when you will find rest for your soul. I believe we enter into rest every time we pray when we come to the throne of grace, when we come humbly before our faithful high priest who can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, who can provide, provide us with mercy, with mercy when we have sinned, with grace when we are tried or when we are tempted. It's from our faithful high priest who has passed through the heavens who will give us rest. When you are troubled and anxious, he can give you peace. When you are doubting, he can provide you with a blessed assurance. When you are despairing, he can give you hope. When you are fearful, he can give you boldness. When you have sinned, he stands ready to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When you are weak, he can provide you with strength. Again, Jesus said, come to me. I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Now, here's the warning from Hebrews. Hardness of heart comes when you could have entered in, but you do not. When you heard, but you didn't humble yourself, you didn't really believe it for yourself, and you didn't obey. That's when you can become deceived, as it says, by the deceitfulness of sin. Because it's made, been made very clear, as long as it is called today, there remains a rest for the people of God, and some have yet to enter in. The writer of Hebrews has included the warnings, pointing out to us what the Holy Spirit has said about the nation of Israel and what he is saying to us today as believers in Jesus Christ. Flip back to Hebrews chapter 3 again, verse 7 and 8. I'd like to revisit these warnings. In 3.7, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, when I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And in verse 12 and 13, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we've seen in our studies through Hebrews to miss out or fall short of experiencing this rest that he speaks of is due to unbelief. 
it's due to disobedience. And there can be a resulting hardness of heart that can come because of a deceitfulness of sin. Deceit means that because of sin, we can believe a lie. It means we can be deceived. We can be deceived about our need for God. We can be deceived about our need for his rest. We can believe that we've got a better way to navigate through life. And we can fool ourselves. We can even fool other people at times. But we can never fool the Lord. That's why back in uh, chapter 4, verse 13, he includes that comment that there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There is no fooling the Lord. Instead, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is how we enter in and possess our spiritual inheritance in Christ. It's a rest of submission, submission to the will of God, a rest of faith, a present-day rest for our souls. But we must be diligent, amen, to enter in. I'd like to to end with this, uh, a few verses from Psalm 37. I'll just read it for you, where he writes, Trust in the Lord and do good, Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you're teaching us about rest. And Lord, we do, want, do not want to fall short of entering in, Lord, to what you have for us. Lord, we want to bring diligence to your word, which is living and active, Lord. We want your word to have its way in us, Lord, to expose our hearts. As David said, search me, O Lord, and try me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, you have rest for our souls. And we believe that, Lord. There is much work to be done. There are giants to face. There is ground to take. But, Lord, the battle is yours, ultimately. And you want to provide rest for our souls, Lord, that we should be anxious for nothing that we should have your peace, that we should have your joy, Lord, as we continue on journeying this this spiritual journey. May May we fully come out of the wilderness, Lord, and into the promised land, looking forward to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our future rest in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you-